Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise. We bring you interviews with professionals in the movement and exercise field. The goal is to provide information for other professionals and also amateur movement aficionados, people who understand that movement, it's part of what makes life complete. Some of the people we interview you will have heard of. They're well known in and outside of the movement and exercise profession. Others you may not have heard of, but they have a great deal of knowledge to share. To paraphrase biomechanist Dr. Stuart McGill, many people doing the best work spend their time working with people, not working on their social media presence. We're going to give you the chance to learn from some of these talented and knowledgeable individuals, and we're going to learn along with you. Moving to Live podcasts are going to be short. Each interview will be long enough to impart usable information, but short enough to be able to be consumed in a single bout during your commute, workout, or even during dinner prep. We all like long-form interviews, but time is valuable. Moving to Live wants to give you the option to learn and be entertained without needing to commit 60-plus minutes at a time for an interview. Give Moving to Live a listen. Check out our sister podcast, FitLab PGH. FitLab PGH highlights people, locally owned businesses, and events in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area that understand that movement, it's part of what makes your life complete. Moving to Live would love to hear from you. Want to connect with us or have an idea for somebody that you think we should interview? Then drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com or connect with us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, both at underscore mov2liv. We're excited to bring you these interviews and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. Welcome back to another edition of the Moving to Live podcast. As you heard in the intro, we're a podcast about movement and exercise. We want to bring you interviews with professionals in the movement and exercise field who not only teach in an academic setting, but also work as practitioners. So you may hear some teachers, some practitioners, and some people who do both. The individual we have today has an interesting story about how he arrived where he is. You've probably heard him if you're an active member of the NSCA or involved in tactical work. Our interview today is Dr. Jay Dawes. Jay is an associate professor at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, as well as the coordinator of athletic performance services there. He's a CSCS with the National Strength and Conditioning Association, a certified personal trainer. He's certified by the American College of Sports Medicine. And when you see the show notes, you're going to find that he also has literally an alphabet soup of certifications. And I think what that shows is he has a broad-based background and an interesting story on how he came to where he is today. Dr. Dawes, Jay, thanks for taking time to talk to me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ben. I appreciate it. I joke with Jay because I've heard him tell this story in his uh, presentations that he makes is Jay is the perfect example of an athlete who woke up one day with an injury and realized, I'm not going to make my living as a professional athlete, and rather than falling into a level of depression, he turned it around and started out coaching at a university setting, moving into a personal trainer setting, moving into owning a personal trainer setting. I first met Jay when he was the director of education for the National Strength and Conditioning Association. At some point during that time, he managed to earn a doctorate degree, and I think what separates him from many other professionals who are in academia is not only does he do the teaching, but he also works as a practitioner both at the university and with some work he does consulting with various police forces and other tactical organizations. So, Jay, if you can take us back to 
why did you fail as a professional athlete? Actually, I don't think you ever were a professional athlete, but why did you fail as an athlete? And what turned it around where you said, okay, if I can't do it, maybe I can teach it and show people how to do it. Yeah, I know. And I, and I think the realization should have hit me way earlier that I was not going to go quite as far as I was aspiring to. Um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, it, it's, it's funny when I started out in, you know, playing sports and whatnot, you know, I played you know some sports when I was a kid and, you know, kind of your, your traditional, you know, soccer, football, baseball, and, you know, really, really enjoyed it. But, you know, for me, it, it was interesting. I was kind of the little fat kid. So, you know, at that uh, time, like, you know, before the age of, you know, 14, I was a pretty overweight kid. And uh, kind of a catalyst for me getting into the whole strength conditioning area is I got cut from the seventh grade baseball team. And I was just completely devastated. And, uh, you know, all my buddies were playing, and I was the lone kid who got cut. And, you know, at that point, you know, I, you know, went home, you know, ha- had a good uh, cry with my mom and go, you know what, I, I still want to try and do this. And, you know, started picking up, you know, <laughs> at that stage in life, you know, Muscle and Fitness Magazine, because, you know, as a 13-year-old boy, you know, back in the 80s, there just wasn't a whole lot of things available to you. We didn't have the Internet, things of that nature. So, you know, I just literally grabbed anything I could about sports performance and, you know, about, you know, building muscle and nutrition and things like that and started just trying to soak it all in. And, um, you know, fortunately for me, you know, I, I learned enough to be probably pretty adequate um, at the strength conditioning aspects of it and, you know, went on to, you know, do, do pretty decent in high school and even got to play a couple of years at a couple of small schools in, in Oklahoma. Um, but, you know, I, I think for me, when I got, you know, finally had my uh, last injury playing baseball to my uh, elbow, I, I think at that stage I realized that, you know, for me, a lot of it was just trying to overcome that adversity and show everybody that I was good enough to do it. And so much of that was through the strength conditioning aspects of it that I started realizing, you know, I, I probably had more of an enthusiasm for actually, you know, getting ready for the season than, than maybe I even did to, to play the sport at that point. You know, so for me, it was a really nice, easy transition into that. Um, you know, cause I had a lot of friends who, you had to make that transition and it literally devastated them just because I think, you know, they had that, um, you know, kind of identification issue where, you know, I've been identified as an athlete my entire life and now I'm not, what do I do? You know, for me, I think, you know, it was one of the things where this, that, that injury probably allowed me to follow what my real passion was um, versus what I thought it was at the time. And, uh, you know, and I, and I did okay. I mean, you know, I was, you know, a, you know, five foot 10, 195 some pound kid who's thrown in the low nineties, which was okay. But, you know, again, when you start looking at the athletes that are really good, you know, for them, it wasn't hard to do that. I mean, for me, it took everything I had to get the ball up to 90 miles an hour and maintain it for two, three innings. And then it basically tapered off to 85. So, you know, I probably should have recognized earlier on that, you know, for the kids that it was a little bit more natural for, that that was probably going to be, uh, you know, the, the track they were traveling, not the one I was on. But, you know, again, for me, I think it let me realize where where my real enthusiasm lied within the world of, of sport. How much do you think that after getting cut from the seventh grade team and then I'm assuming either the next year or the following year you made the team, how much do you think that was due to – picking up the muscle fitness and trying to imitate what the articles were saying versus a little bit of maturation. Oh, it was uh, honestly, man, like maturation is a great thing. I mean, that's a great thing is at 13, 14 years old, you know, I screwed up so many things, but I was just so anabolic at that stage that it really didn't make a lot of difference. Just doing something was better than nothing. Um, Unfortunately, I mean, as we all know, weight training at 13 to 14, unfortunately it didn't stunt my growth. 
Um, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, I think that, that had a great deal to do with it. And I will say this, like at that stage in life, like the programs that I was following were predominantly bodybuilding programs. And I think, you know, that's the one thing that we kind of lose sight of is, you know, was it ideal for athletic performance? Probably not. But at the same time, like anytime you improve your, improve your muscle cross-sectional area, anytime you get stronger, and you actually go out and practice your sport, then, you know, there's an opportunity for transfer there. So, you know, even though I was following a program that wasn't probably the best for athletic performance, it still helped me out quite a bit. You know, so, you know, I, I think certainly, you know, the, the maturation aspect of it had a massive amount to do with it. Um, but I, I think fortunately it was one of those things, right time, right place. I picked it up at the right age where I could start really seeing those benefits. And you know, I think that's what's given me the enthusiasm for, for, you know, my you know entire life up to this point. Jay, I think you hit on something that so many people in the field tend to forget about. You were saying, I just started with a bodybuilding program and that maybe that wasn't the best for performance, but sometimes we just get stuck in the, what we read or what the high-level athletes or the high-level coaches have and say, if we don't have that, we can't do anything. And I think you hit on the most important thing is just start doing something and then you can adapt from there. Yeah, no, and, and I agree. And I think, you know, at that stage in life with the amount of, you know, coaching that I had in my life, you know, the, the coaches that I work with, you know, again, back in the 80s, baseball was kind of on the cusp of just really starting to move into um, you know, accepting strength conditioning as a viable method to improve performance. So, you know, a lot of baseball coaches I had, they weren't really 100% keen on, you know, being in the weight room and, and doing that kind of stuff. So, you know, most of the information I was getting was on just basic exercise technique and form. And I think that's probably, you know, why I'm so picky about it now um, is that kind of laid that foundation for, you know, trying to make sure it's as spot on as it can be. And, uh, and a lot of, you know, I, I had to kind of teach myself that aspect because I didn't have, you know, I, I grew up in a very small town in Oklahoma and we just didn't have anybody that necessarily had that background or that experience. Um, you know, so, uh, subsequently, you know, I had some friends where, you know, their fathers were engaged in bodybuilding and things like that. And, you know, so I picked up some things wherever I could. And, uh, you know, then eventually as I started getting older and, you know, realizing, hey, there's more stuff out there and, you know, get get to the point where I could drive and actually go to like a Barnes and Noble or, you know, something like that and start saying, oh, well, here's, you know, Don Chu's book on plyometrics and, you know, here's, um, you know, Sports Speed by, uh, you know, Dittmer, you know, things that I started kind of honing in is like, oh, well, that makes a little bit more sense as far as why maybe should be doing this. But I think the, the good thing about it is that just doing that basic resistance training work, it set the foundation and set the stage to be able to, to accommodate those bigger forces later when, you know, I did get to the more sports specific stuff. Now, and again, granted, I, I may have been, you know, may have had a better chance and had better opportunities had I learned that earlier. But, you know, I think, you know, you do the best you can with what you got. And, you know, it, it's, you know, with what I knew at that time, it seemed like I was doing the right things. And, you know, to some extent, it worked out okay. Moving, moving on in your career from a junior bodybuilder in Oklahoma <laughs> that's That's very generous. I wasn't really all that good, but. But, you know, as you said, the opportunity to play baseball, so I think that's probably beneficial as a performance coach as you've been an athlete. You've finished your career probably later than you anticipated, but sooner than you wanted to because of injury. And how did True. you transition to, okay, I can be some sort of a performance coach? Was it, uh, did somebody tell you? Were you already doing it? And friends of yours who still were fortunate enough to play the sport said, hey, Jay, can you help me out even though you can't throw the ball anymore? 
Yeah, no, it was it was really kind of cool because I think you know with, with some of my teammates and things like that, you know, during the off season and whatnot, we do workouts together, and you know, pretty soon, you know, a lot of them were you know kind of come with me and following some of the stuff I was doing, and you know, it, it was one of the things where periodically they kind of asked for advice on certain things because I knew I was kind of studying those aspects, and uh, you know, when I quit playing. Um, I, I kind of figured, well, you know, maybe this is an area I could go into. And, you know, I didn't know anything about the NSCA or strength conditioning and, or, you know, what, what a true strength conditioning coach was at that point. And, you know, started kind of figuring some stuff out and calling people and, you know, trying to look at career paths. And I was really fortunate. There was a, um, our, our women's softball team at the university I was at, um, they had just hired a new coach and, uh, I was, I was pretty decent as far as mechanics and hitting and, you know, it was funny when I was a kid, I, I talked about kind of learning some stuff on my own. I remember um, in high school, I would take Sports Center and I would, you know, find all the best hitters, all the best throwers. And basically, I was doing biomechanical breakdowns of, you know, what they did to be successful. And, you know, at that point, I didn't realize what I was doing until you know, I actually got to school and, you know, took a biomechanics class. And they say, we're going to do this. I'm like, oh, I've done this before. And they're like, well, who taught you that? I'm like, oh, I just kind of picked it up. <laughs> But I, I think part of that was it just was the desire to, you know, how do I get better and what do I need to do to do that, that, you know, kind of helped me, um, you know, groove out some of those skills and try and get a little bit better eye for it. And uh, so our um, head softball coach, she had just got hired on and she said, hey, you know, you know, I always thought you did very well hitting and, you know, I think you could maybe help us out and do some instruction. And so the university actually hired me on as the assistant softball coach at that time, you know, while I was still a student, which was just kind of, you know, fortunate to be at a small school where I could do that, but, you know, really definitely not the norm. Um, and I said, you know, hey, I'd be willing to do it, but if I do it, I'd really like to be our strength coach too. And so they allowed me to do that. And uh, the deal that was worked out is I would be the assistant softball coach, the head strength coach for women's softball, and then I would be the physical fitness coordinator for the university. And, and basically what that meant is, you know, I got to deal with everybody from, you know, the athlete to, you know, basketball and, uh, you know, baseball, softball, who wanted to improve performance to, you know, faculty members who wanted to lose a few pounds and, you know, just wanted to get a tight tummy and tushy. So it was, it was a very broad spectrum of people that I got to work with. And, uh, which was, it was, it was actually kind of fun because, you know, with all the different individual needs, there was different challenges where I had to try and address based on their constraints and, and things of that nature. So that's, that's kind of what led me into strength conditioning is, you know, my first initial job was really as a strength coach at a small university and, you know, also, you know, addressing some of the physical fitness aspects, which, you know, really kind of helped me transition into, um, you know, what I ended up doing later on with, um, you know, both owning my own facility and, you know, than with some of the athletes that I work with now. And that's an interesting transition that I think listeners might want to be aware of because so many times an individual who becomes an injured athlete and transitions into strength and conditioning becomes the college or the high school strength coach, and you really took almost a 90-degree turn. And before you started as director of education at the NSCA, you were a personal trainer and owned a personal training studio. So how do you transition from kind of a jack-of-all-trades at a university to personal training and owning a personal training studio? Yeah, and, you know, the, the thing about it was at that stage in, in my life, you know, I, I was married and, you know, we were, had, you know, kids on the way and, and things of that nature. And, you know, we, we really wanted to stay in Oklahoma at that point. Um, our whole families were there, and, you know, really, unless you are the head strength coach at Oklahoma State or OU, 
then, you know, the, the opportunity to make a living was very, very small. So, you know, I kind of started figuring out pretty soon that, hey, if I do this, I'm going to have to go a route that's maybe a little bit more non-traditional in order for us to, to be able to, you know, meet some of the life goals we had as well. And, uh, you know, so I, I ended up going to Oklahoma State for grad school and, you know, um, learned, learned a lot of things for some really, really great people there. But uh, after uh, school, you know, or after uh, grad school, I ended up um, working at a uh, small personal training studio that was about 1,200 square feet with a uh, gentleman that I went to um, Oklahoma State with. And, you know, he basically asked me, you know, he, he um, was in, in pursuit of his uh, doctorate of education. And, you know, once he got that, um, you know, I had been working with him for about six months. And, you know, the good thing is, I, uh, the, the hard thing for me is my area was really always athletic performance. So I was trying to, fit that athletic performance mold into working with, you know, your everyday population as well as with the athletes I worked with, um, kind of in that private setting. And, you know, and I think that's always the approach I've taken is, you know, life is performance and, you know, how do I help you perform better in your daily activities in life? And, oh, by the way, if I can help you make, you know, make those people look better in the process, then great. Um, but, you know, I think during that time frame, you know, I ended up you know, working with him and, you know, six months after I started, um, he ended up getting a job offer at a university, and they said, "Man, if you can keep the doors open, I'll I'll keep funding it." And you know, so basically, as long as he can make it, or I can make it profitable for both of us, that he was willing to to kind of front that. So um, things went really well. I did that for about three years, and uh, after a three-year time frame, you know, we had a discussion and said, "You know, really, at this stage of the game, I think it's time for me to to consider buying this." And uh, so I ended up buying the facility. We uh, moved into a 2,000-square-foot facility within about six months of that. And then uh, two years later, we moved into a 6,400-square-foot facility. So, you know, for me at that point, that allowed me to get back to a little bit more of my original um, roots as far as with athletic conditioning. And because we, we had some relationships with some, um, you know, different sports academies that were um, just right down the road from the, the facility that we had. And so I started running all the speed agility camps and some of our athletic development courses through our um, our facility. And, you know, for me, that was kind of, you know, a dream come true. I mean, that's what I wanted to do. And I was still getting to work with athletes and I was doing it on my own terms. And, you know, we were making a decent living doing it. And, uh, you know, then one day out of the blue, I got a call from the NSCA and they go, hey, you know, our education director job is going to be opening up. Do you, do you have an interest in that? And, you know, my first thought was not really. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I'm like, dude, I'm living the dream. Like I got a cathedral of strength conditioning here. Why would I want to do that? And, uh, you know, so after a lot of talk with my wife about it and, and family, you know, it was one of those things where we said, you know, if I got the opportunity to do that, it's, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. And, you know, the professional connections I get to make and the people I get to meet would be more than I could do in a lifetime in Oklahoma. And uh, so, fortunately, you know, I, we, you know, I, I applied for the job, and you know, still not really 100 percent sure how I got it. Especially, I, I figured out some of the people I was actually in the running against. I'm like, man, they're way better than me. And uh, <laughs> but you know, it, it worked out, and you know, we ended up getting it. And it kind of set the course in, in a different path for us. So, you know, it's um, it, it's that's what it, when when students ask me, you know, what my career path has been, I'm like, you know, it's been very nonlinear. <laughs> It's been a little bit all over the place as far as that goes. So, and I think one might also say that if you were doing athletic type performance with the general public in a personal training studio back in, oh, let's say sometime in the '90s, just to be generous, uh, you were probably a little bit ahead of the game because now, if you look at some of the hottest things in personal training, it's things like high intensity training, even for senior citizens. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, and I think that's the thing is, you know, when you look at it, you know, if you look at your, you know, health and skill-related components of fitness, you know, typically those skill-related components like your, you know, agility, balance, coordination, speed, power, reaction time, you know, I think we tend to gravitate to athletic performance with that because, I mean, that's, that's the extreme example of it. I mean, you know, normally if I give an example of a, you know, power in my classes, it's, you know, a vertical jump or, you know, a, a power clean or, or something of that nature. Because, again, that's, you know, kind of that that's the high-end continuum of that. But, you know, even for the senior citizen, for, you know, the, the individual who's just trying to enjoy recreational activities, I mean, power, speed, and agility are all critical things not only to do what you want to do on a on a daily basis, but just to stay healthy and the injury resistant. So, you know, that was really, um, you know, a lot of the approach that, you know, I took and, you know, the coaches that worked with me took was trying to make them as prepared for life as possible. And, um, I, you know, it, it was really fun. We, we had, um, you know, several um, individuals that came in who were stroke survivors. And, you know, we do a lot of agility and, and balance training with them. And, I mean, like, you know, to the point where, you know, we're taking out, you know, we're taping, you know, agility ladders out on the ground so they don't get tangled up in the ladders and things like that, but make them go through footwork patterns because that was a skill set that, you know, they they were lacking at that point. You know, so just to make them better movers, you know, with the things that they had to do on a daily basis. And, you know, again, it was hugely rewarding to get to do that as well. So, you move from there, what many people would say is the dream job in the strength, conditioning, or performance field. You move on and become a director of education, and I think you explained really well that's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and I think everybody who has known directors of education at the NSCA realize that's also kind of a transitional position, too. You either move on to bigger or better things or to other things. At what point in this whole process did you say, you know, I think I might want to get a doctorate. Maybe I'd like to try the university setting and teaching. <laughs> well, and, and that's what I said. I, I always talk to people and say, I accidentally got a PhD. Um, you know, I when I was back in Oklahoma at that point, before I had got as involved with the NSCA as I did, you know, I, I it was a year out of my master's program. Like, you know what? Sharpen the sword. Take a class here and there. Make sure you're kind of staying upskilled. Plus, it's going to be continuing education that I can get for um, all the other certs that I have. So, so I applied for the PhD program, and I figured, hey, you know, worst case scenario, end result is I end up getting a PhD, and uh, you know, that's that's not a horrible outcome, but it wasn't really a priority at that stage in my life, which is very non, probably the, definitely not the norm. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, started out, and it was funny when I did my interview at the NSCA. I, was, I actually at that point was about halfway through a PhD at Oklahoma State. And truthfully, at that point, you know, the business was going well. You know, we had little ones. I was actually teaching at a small university at that time. I'm like, you know, does this even make sense to, to keep going? And uh, I'll never forget Dr. Lee Brown. He was president of the NSCA at that time. And uh, he wasn't interviewing me, but he just wanted to have a chat with me so we could get to know each other better. And he goes, well, you know, that education director job, you know, I, I really think that, you know, a PhD in that role is, is going to be a critical factor. And, you know, you, you, are you planning on, on finishing that up? And, of course, you know, it was, you know, Lee Brown. I'm like, absolutely, sir. <laughs> so I was hoping that, you know, Lee Brown is probably as responsible for me finishing that PhD as anybody was, that, you know, in, in that process. Um, but yeah, ended up, you know, it, it was kind of a funny story. So I had to, well, it, it's a long drawn out one, but long story short, I ended up getting it done. 
Um, while I was actually at the NSA, I was actually doing some adjunct work at University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, and teaching their strength conditioning class. And, uh, you know, at that point, I started to kind of realize, like, you know what? Like, at this stage in the game, I'm kind of enjoying, you know, being in that academic setting more than, you know, just uh, – you know, only really, you know, administering the, the or being more of an administrative position. So I kind of missed being, you know, as involved in strength conditioning as I was. And, you know, the whole time I was there, I got to do some coaching, things like that, but nothing like it was before. And, you know, I started gravitating a little bit more to that academic setting and a little bit to, you know, trying to help, you know, younger professionals, you know, get the experience they need to be successful. And, you know, um, ended up making a switch and decided, you know what, I think I'm going to go back to, um, you know, leave the NSA and go to an academic setting and uh, had a job offer at Texas A&M University of Corpus Christi and uh, ended up going down there for about three years. And uh, then an opportunity came up to come back to Colorado, um, actually at UCCS, and uh, was fortunate enough to get that position. And, and, you know, now we've been back for about four years. And, uh, you know, again, things are, are going extraordinarily well. We've got a master's strength conditioning program and you know, students are great. Getting to you know a lot of the uh, you know the, the research aspects of it, it. It's funny over the years. I remember being a grad student, going, "I have no desire to do that whatsoever." To now, it's one of the best parts of my job. Um, and then also, you know, getting to be involved with our athletic our athletics program on a daily basis as well has been um, you know really a, a, a great experience for not only me but also for our students because they get to get the hands-on practical applications they need to be successful coaches when they leave here. I think one of the other things that's interesting to listeners that would be, if you read any of the NSCA journals, you realize that Jay is very involved in tactical research and tactical training. And so far we've been talking almost a half hour and you've made no mention of tactical training. How did you transition to somebody saying, hey, you know, Dr. Dawes, can you help us with conditioning with the military or law enforcement or fire department? Because that's a little bit different from personal training, a little bit different from training for a specific sport or a specific big game. Yeah, and and you know what's funny enough, I think with the tactical area, it's actually probably a a great combination of both those things. Um, Because it takes the best, the things that I really enjoy about athletic performance and the things I actually really enjoyed about, you know, working with, uh, you know, people who are just looking at improving their fitness and it kind of blends those two things. And, uh, you know, it, it was one of the, you know, tactical strength conditioning was something not even on my grid, uh, you know, a decade ago. And, you know, when I took the position at the NSCA, um, they were just starting the tactical strength conditioning program there. And, you know, at that point, the Colorado Springs SWAT team was coming in and, you know, there's a couple other first responders that were um, coming in there to work with, um, you know, our, our coaches and, you know, really started getting a, a real enthusiasm for that area. Cause, and I think a lot of it was, you know, at that time, you know, a lot of the guys were, you know, my age and, you know, we could all still do things that were reasonably athletic. And, you know, that, that's why I, I joke about with people all the time. It's like, man, I can still do everything I did when I was 20. It just hurts a lot more and it takes a lot longer to recover from. And they're kind of in that same space. <laughs> and the nice thing, I have to tease Jay a little bit, in, in his coaching career, he's also suffered a number of injuries from either demonstrating or, <laughs> or trying to compete. So I think I know. I probably that. actually had more in my coaching career than I did when I was an athlete. But <laughs> I, I think the best comment that I've heard from Jay is after injuring himself and saying, damn, I just don't heal as fast as I used to when I was younger. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty remarkable how uh, how much of a challenge it can be at times. But you know, I, I do. But I will say this: I do think it's important for me to be in the middle of it and still train and still condition similar to what I'm going to condition my athletes with. Because I think one, just from a demonstration standpoint, it's it's better to have a reference of correctness for the athlete as far as you know. Hey, here's what I want you to do, and I think there is a certain level of credibility that comes from us. That hey, you know, I may not be as good as I was, but I can at least show you how to do this. Um, maybe not full tilt and probably not as fast as you're going to do it, but this is kind of what I'm looking for. And, uh, and it's good. I mean, and, and like I said, in a lot of ways, you know, it, as I get older, it keeps me young. I mean, it, it's fun to get out there and, and do the things that you did when you're, you know, a kid. And, you know, I think that's part of, you know, this profession that's great is like most of us are very kinesthetic people. We like to be active. We like to do those things and doing all those things with the athletes and with the tactical groups. You know, it lets me do the things in my, you know, personal life that I really enjoy doing, like, you know, going out and, you know, playing ball with my son and my, my daughters and, you know, going out for hikes and, and, you know, being engaged in recreational activities. So, you know, it's one of those things where it definitely, you know, all the way around, it kind of comes full circle for me in that regard. And that's one of the things we like to do with people we pick to interview for moving to live. We like to pick professionals who not only do the coaching or the teaching, but also still stay active. So we'll finish up this half of the interview with a couple of questions for people who maybe have heard you speak at conferences and wonder what makes you tick. But uh, any movement activities, events, or something that's on your bucket list at some point you're going to do when times get a little more flexible, maybe the kids get a little older? Oh, man, that's a great question. Several things. I'm going to be very noncommittal on it at the moment. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's funny when I when I quit playing baseball, I trained a few people to run marathons, and I actually did three of those. Um, at this stage of game, with some of the injuries that I've had, I don't know that the full marathon is something that would 100% make sense. Um, however, it, it's also kind of that arrogance level of I hate to completely close the door on something. <laughs> so, um, you know, there, there's certainly some other things, you know, as far as, you know, even looking at, um, you know, senior games in state games. So, I think, you know, maybe in the future when there's a little bit more time, I may get a little bit more aggressive with that. And, you know, I think at this stage of the game, probably my best look is just to stay healthy so I can, you know, be, be the only person in my age category maybe and I have a chance at a medal. <laughs> I'll, put, I'll put something out there as a bucket list if you want to join me. At some point, my goal is to do a one-day rim-to-rim hike of the Grand Canyon. So you can I could, that. You can I could that. probably handle that. You know, and, and I'll say this, you know, I, I think that uh, I could handle you for a full day, so that would work. <laughs> and, and that's and that's part of the reason why I put it out there. It's, it's not only you handling me, but me finding somebody that I can deal with for a day. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so Very we've cool. touched a little bit on recovery and the fact that uh, it's important to do what you what you have your athletes or your tactical people do. Is there one recovery or self care practice that you consider that you know this is essential? I got to do this so I can get out there and still at least practice what I preach? Oh, man. For, for me personally, I think it's sleep. That's probably the number one thing. And honestly, probably through my 30s, that was the one thing I was the absolute worst at. Um, you know, for, for a lot of people that I work with, and Ben, I know you've even had this happen before, it, it wasn't uncommon to get an email from me at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, because, I mean, I, I'd get into bed at, you know, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, my mind would start racing. I'm like, okay, we might as well just get up and do this. And, you know, I think as I've gotten older, 
Um, that component of it, it, it's funny, like, as soon as I started actually trying to make a concerted effort to get that seven, eight hours of sleep a night, like, my body hurts a lot less. <laughs> so, you know, it's one of those things where it's not necessarily rocket surgery, but, you know, it, it's all those things that you know that you uh, promote with your athletes and the things that you tell them to do, but I think it's the, the aspect of, you know, the practice what you preach. And, uh, when I actually started doing that, I actually started feeling quite a bit better. <laughs> Another question we'd like to always ask people we interview for Moving to Live, you mentioned a couple of big names in the strength and conditioning field. You know, Don Chu probably considered the father in the U.S. of plyometrics. But if you had to pick one person as far as who's had the greatest influence on your career or the greatest impact on your approach to movement, who would it be? Oh man, you know, honestly, Ben, I don't know that I can I can narrow it down to one person. Um, it, there's been so many people who have had such a, a massive influence and impact on on my career and, and my life. Um, you know, it's uh, you know just a, the the short list. I mean, you know, obviously, Dr. Lee Brown has been you know instrumental as far as that goes. Um, you know, Juan Carlos Santana. He was. You know, I remember when I was back in Oklahoma City, um, I was a grad student and had an idea for a thesis, and I went to, you know, see one of his presentations, and, you know, I said, hey, you know, Mr. Santana, I'd, you know, got an idea I want to ask you about, and, you know, he sat there for an hour and a half after the clinic was over talking to me, you know, so, you know, a 22-year-old kid, so he, you know, didn't need to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like, so the fact that, you know, he took the time out of his schedule and, you know, and that time, that was when Carlos was really on kind of a meteoric rise in, in our profession. And, uh, but he took the time out to, to give that time to me to, you know, help a, a young professional out. Um, you know, Diane Vivas, she's an, another great one. Um, you know, Ian Jeffries, Dr. Rob Orr, Mick Steerly. Um, you know, you and, you know, the, you know, some of the experiences that we've had and some of the things I'd be able to, you know, use you for a sounding board for. So, you know, I, I think it's one of those things where, you know, looking back over the course of my career, I've been just so incredibly fortunate to have so many great people, um, available to me and, and willing to help that, uh, you know, narrowing it down to one person would not even be possible. And then the final question that I think is really important for anybody who's listening to this who maybe isn't happy where they are in their career, or maybe they're a student or somebody who's looking at changing a career, brief advice for somebody who's looking for a career in the strength and conditioning field, whether it be as an academic or it's like, you know, I just want to work with people and not do research, which probably 15 years ago, that was you. Yeah, absolutely. So, no, I mean, I I think probably, you know, some of the biggest things are, you know, go go in the area that you have the enthusiasm for and, and the desire, and, and eventually, you know, if you work hard and if you, you know, get you know do the right things, things usually tend to work out about the way they should. You know, and and I've said this repeatedly, like I'm very, I'm really not exceptional at anything. However, there's not too many people that'll outwork me. And I think that's been the one thing, you know, throughout the course of my career is just the the willingness to put the work in and and to try and get better. And you know, when you know when you get the opportunities, put everything you have into it. And you know, a, a lot of times, you know, not being afraid to not necessarily go with not go with what the intended plan was. You know, I, I think it's kind of like we said before, like you know, especially with like the tactical strength conditioning, like that wasn't something that I intended on doing. Um, but now, I mean, it's probably the most significant thing that I'm doing as far as from a research perspective, um, you know, in, in my life right now. 
And, you know, again, you know, starting out with athletic performance, that wasn't really something, you know, at that, you know, you know, 15 years ago I had an interest in. But, uh, you know, now that's one of the things that like literally drives me and gets me out of bed in the morning. And, you know, it's, it's nice to find a profession and find an area where, you know, you don't feel like you're dragging yourself out of bed. You feel like you're getting pulled out of bed because you want to get to it. And I think that's probably the biggest piece of advice I'd have is, you know, just be be receptive to change, be receptive to opportunities, and, um, you know, don't don't be afraid to take chances. Um good friend of mine, um, Jeff Nichols, I, I was watching something he put up on, I think it was Facebook the other day, and, you know, he said, you know, the only thing that is harder than living with failure is living with regret. And, uh, and I'd 100% agree with that. You know, I think that's one of the things where, you know, I remember the, the first professional presentation I ever did. I literally went to the bathroom, threw up, came out, did it, and go, I'm never doing that again. And then the state director, um, that was the uh, NSA state director in Oklahoma, said, hey, that was awesome. Will you do it again in August? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> I think for me, I was always more concerned about what would happen if I didn't take the chance than, you know, uh, what would happen as far as if, if I got out and failed. So I think that's probably the big thing is just don't be afraid to fail. And, you know, don't be afraid to look back later and say, you know what, with what I knew at that time, it felt like the right thing to do. And, you know what, I was wrong. And, you know, hopefully you're growing and learning. And, you know, as you mature, you're going to change your mind. And, you know, just don't be afraid to do that. Good information from Dr. Jay Dawes. If you ever wondered when you've heard Jay speak at a conference how he got where he was, I think this podcast, the first part of a two-part interview with him, gave you an idea. We'll be back in two weeks to talk a little bit more about tactical and how he approaches working with tactical athletes and also other athletes. I think it'll be a good listen for young professionals as well as maybe somebody who, like Jay, when he was growing up, just didn't have access to the professionals but has a yearning for information and is looking for it. Jay, thanks for taking time for part one of the interview. Thanks, Ben. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guest, as well as links about all the things we talked about. Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play, and be notified about a new episode release. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com. Connect with us on social media, Instagram and Twitter, both at underscore MOV number two LIV. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live. We're a go-to place for information for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados who understand that movement is part of what makes your life complete. Until next week, keep on moving. Keep on moving.